éparpillés sur le sol, jetés plutôt que disposés. Des alliages de plastique, de bois et de métal. Des constructions diverses, assemblées, collées et soudées, mais surtout endommagées, comme ma visite. You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And we are venturing through the perimeter into the realm of Antizen with Vromb. Perimeter 3 plus 10. Uh, not our first CD and vinyl paired record we're discussing. That would have been Green Wheels. And that was a five-inch record and a CD. Here it is a three-inch CD and a 10 inch record, uh, expertly packaged from Anzana, a 10 inch picture disc, actually. And yeah, strange uh, French project that was on the outskirts of noise and sort of industrial rhythmic stuff in the 90s. Uh, first record, I think, was Jeu de Terre. And we're going to talk about this cool digital analog set. Heck yeah, I'm excited. And yeah, I think, the, you know, the first record was on Tesco in 93, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, this is just a, another cool branch of noise, industrial sounds that I'm excited to dig into. But before we do that, great. What have you been listening to, man? Uh, I, got, I finally got my copy of the uh, Advocate Era Hoheit Ruxau double CD that, uh, Got reissued the, I think I've mentioned the LP in some previous recent listenings, and I, I really love this record and hearing all this other material. So I think some of it from a, uh, another cassette that is hard to track down is nice to have in in one place. And yeah, just been been digging that and really nice, weird atmospheres, uh, plenty of noise. But it's, you know, early 90s European heavy electronics in a style that I like very much. So That one works quite well. And then I also uh, was jamming. I just got this Capricorni Pneumatici or Pneumatici CD on Alma Di Nieto, which is a Putridini obnoxious. And it's a reissue of a tape from 1991 released on SSS production. And Capricorni Pneumatici was uh, like late 80s occult industrial weirdness and this is again a reissue of a tape from 1991 so it has all of that it is a cult ritual noise i think i mentioned the sigil ms and soft stuff uh in our last episode and this is a continuation of that vibe so very very nice and very fitting and a lot of those capricornite tapes are pretty hard to track down so happy to have a nice convenient cd of this i think it'd be fun to do a smash cut of your recent listening pronunciations and the, <laughs> and just the, it's, 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 it's so wild sometimes. Yes, yes. Like, 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 <laughs> like just all these words. Not, not that, not that we don't, you know, we, we love the, and I don't even try to pronounce it right. The first thing that advocate you, you introduced us to that and mm-hmm. we have that, the reissue of that as well. And it is great, but I don't even like attempt. I just can't, I know I'm going to butcher it so bad, but I, but I think you going for it Hats off and just to you. really just like, you know what? I'm going to do it. And I, I, I admire the fortitude. 
I mean, I'll give it the effort. It's not going to be perfect, I, but you I at think least it's kind great. of know. That's why we list the recent listening in the description. Yes. Is because who the hell knows what we're saying half the time? And yeah, and <laughs> certainly there's a lot of uh, bands with unpronounceable names in noise. No one's going for like the simple easy like the beatles kind of name mm -hmm. usually unless it's like the Whoa. tape beatles or the powder beatles or the powder beatles <laughs> mm. what a great tape what about the what about you Connellys? what have you been listening to well actually speaking of powdered beatles or richard ramirez he just recently reissued a couple dead body love tapes that we have been did. listening to those a lot yeah the unplugged as well as bacteria too I believe I saw that you also uh, did the same thing that we did. Yeah, I haven't or listened to the digital aside from a quick uh, quick skim of, you know, playing it while ordering it, uh, figuring I'd wait for the tapes and then jam them. So expect those, you know, sometime next week whenever the package shows up. Richard's really good at sending out packages, and I'm sure they'll be here quite soon. Yeah, sometimes it's just it's we don't really have a fast rolls i know you don't either as far as like if you're gonna wait for the package or listen to digital uh this this time around we we just threw on some of the digitals while still waiting for the tapes and yeah that was that was been listening to that a lot but that was this morning's first first play when we woke up great yeah pretty 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 you know sip rough it on your coffee have a little dead body love yeah rough and tumble way to uh wake start up the day. yeah also, we listened to a CD on Kendritic Sound that is a reissue of a tape, the HCOD Instruments of Destiny. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Did I get the did I get the letters in the right order? You did. You did. Nice. Nice. Yes, and I know that was on one of your year-end lists and then you did a did a great reissue of it. And yeah, it's it's a really nice. I really I really enjoy the feedback elements to it and the the five the sort of you know, what I call sort of mid-fi. Yeah, where in it's the like pocket it's, of yeah, fidelity right there. it's like right not lo-fi, yeah. but it's not high-fi. It's just that sort of mid, you know, uh, kind of crumbly-fi. And yeah, good one. Yeah, his split with Ashra Latreya. There we go, another one. Here we go. Yes. Uh, was, yeah, it was in my year-end list, and I think that that is still... Oh, that um, is crystallization that okay, CD yeah. is, is 100% worth picking up if you don't have it and you like sort of... Yeah, mid-fi is a good term for it. Uh, yeah. It doesn't sound like 90s heavy electronics, but it has that post-mortem kind of wasteland vibe to it. Just just sort of decrepit sounds. And uh, yeah, I really dig that one. I'm glad you, glad you listened to it. Heck yes. And then, you know, we've mentioned it on a previous episode or two, but we've just been so enthralled with the death squad book that just came out and have also been listening you know still to a lot of death squad but we did just we picked up the trucido his one of his first recordings that he he put up on his band camp and reissued it on tape and i've been listening to that uh and it's you know that's a kind of in a similar phi mm -hmm. level yeah of the hud kind of that mid phi you know Chaos, destruction, yeah. collapse—all of those. Yeah, things. no, it's yeah. it's great, and the, and the book, man, it's you know, it's thinking about touring, especially in '97 by yourself, especially before there was really a huge network of noise tours. You know, obviously, plenty of people did it, but it, it was a very different time. 
again, establish nights when noise would be played when instead of like going to a place and having them expect live music and then you get something experimental. Right. And a lot of the shows seem to be that way. You know, it seems you would show up to a sort of proper club mm-hmm. and, you know, it's uh, there's a lot of that. It really did bring bring me back to some early tours. But I mean, I think this is far more at na- another level, especially being by yourself. 97 oh, alone without kind of the support systems in place that we have without map quest or you know google maps gps oh, whatever kind of stuff triptychs like, he said most of the shows were mm-hmm. pretty much a lot of letters a lot of calls uh, only a handful of emails there is a show at zoots coffee yeah. shop in detroit where zero people showed up uh, so he played to hearing trumpet who and then they they each played for each other but 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 it is actually really great the you know reading these things and there's a there's a specific part in it that I really liked where he's playing a show at Earwax Records in New York, in Brooklyn. And he sort of knew that it was, it was with Hydra and, and, and Greg Scott had set it up and he sort of, he sort of posted up at Greg Scott's place in between a lot of shows, you know, kind of would go back and forth to New York when he was, and then go off and then come back. But they set up an afternoon show and they sort of didn't expect anything. They just kind of did it, you know, to set it up. And they even said that, you know, no one really came for the show. I mean, there were customers, but he has this line that says the 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 reward of the show was not the audience or lack thereof, but seeing it through to completion. So I yes. like that thing of like, well, we set we did it. We set this show up. We were doing it to completion, no matter if there's zero people who are interested in seeing it. And, you know, I, I, that, you know, I certainly, I think that's a, that's a amazing way to look at shows like that. Yeah. Relate to that feeling. Sure. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, some things don't change, you know, over 20 years later, those, those types of shows still happen. Right. But it's just a really, really great book and I can't recommend people pick it up enough. I mean, obviously I know Gray feels the same way and absolutely. it's, yeah, it's, it's just a really, and then, and then. And then all the pictures and all the flyers. Yes. I mean, it's so it's 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 just the layout of it's really great. And I think it's a really important uh, book that anyone listening, I think, would really enjoy and benefit from getting a perspective from 1997. I think the level of documentation in the book gives like it makes me wish that I had ever documented anything that well in my life. I know. I never did. We never <laughs> yeah. did. I, I'd always even taking would, pictures on tour. It just never didn't did. even happen. Never did. No. And I was always so bad at that. And yeah, looking back on it now, you're like, Oh man, it would have been cool to have some, I mean, you know, you, you have the memories, but they fade as the years go on. And, and even with him, he said, there are a lot of points where he's like, I don't, I don't really remember the show that much. You know, or maybe he didn't have a flyer for a certain show. So there are still pockets of of you know not remembering things. But but he, honestly, even even the amount of times he s- sleeps in the car. I mean, we I would sleep in the van when we parked at someone's house out of because I enjoyed it. And it was a van, and I had the whole back bench. Or if you're in Oakland and, and I, you need to keep it safe. Well, sure, and I, <laughs> but I enjoy. I it was it was not a out of necessarily a sort of necessity and mm-hmm. it was also not in a cramped car where he says he slept across the front, but if he had to have the parking break up, it was basically just jamming him. Oh, God, it's crazy. The whole time. Sleeping across the front of a car. Oof. I think that level of documentation uh, just also speaks to his 
personality and obsessions and the way he kind of does things, which I think is pretty intense. And uh, that's, yeah, it's, we are all benefiting from it by this awesome book. So yes. we'll put a link up again. I uh, grab the book yeah. and, uh, yeah, we, we really, we, yeah. we really want to support it and want people to support it. Cause I do think it's a very exciting release of 2021. Certainly uh, one of the top most exciting. Yeah, It's going to be one of those things that you flip through for a decade. Yeah. You're going to read it and then you're going to go back and just pick it up and check it out again. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, like we said, great pictures, you know, Keith and, and him going to. Oh, the Branch compound. Oh, yeah. So cool. Great. And, oh. oh, and then, and then, uh, Emil from cocky SP and him going mm-hmm. to Plainfield to try to find Ed Gein's. What was Emil's shirt? Oh, Emil's shirt. It says, I'd rather be masturbating. <laughs> <laughs> like, but what? Like, not That's even like so I'd rather good. be having sex. Like, no, it's like I'd rather I'd, be masturbating. Like, it's like, I like the idea that it's like <laughs> the thing you'd rather do is like it's like not like you know. It's, <sighs> I love that. I, I wonderful. Love, it's, it's perfect I cocky. SP, attainable right? goals. You have to set attainable goals. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Attainable. It's like this attainable, very attainable thing. There's a great photograph of our friend Mark when he had long hair in there, which I I really appreciate. Oh yep. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I took disposable cameras on my first tour. Uh, Good job. Yeah. yeah, my first, my first, like you know, more than a weekender kind of thing out of town when we came all the way out to California uh, from Michigan and then back. Uh, I took numerous disposable cameras and developed the film when I got back. So I have, I have footage from that, and I used to take cameras to gigs. So I have photos of some of the early, like year two thousand gigs I was attending and stuff. But after that first tour, I never really bothered to take cameras again. And I, I don't know why it was so cool. It's cool now to have all these photos of, you know, what, 2004 when I first uh, first yeah. kind of went out. And yeah. Well, yeah. we're we're making, you know, I and I especially think through the podcast, obviously, like we did with with the uh, hospital fest of, a bit ago. And now that shows are starting to back, I think we're going to be making a concerted effort on at least, you know, certain shows to try to maybe do some documentation. We may or may not have one uh, currently lined up, but hey, we'll save that for the future. But hey. And then, you know, we will take those cameras to wear Walgreens and have the film developed. (laughs) Unlike the shoebox of undeveloped disposable cameras that I found when we were moving. And (laughs) who knows what's on those? We're never going to know. Probably not. Still haven't taken them in. (laughs) But hey, so... How to do you pronounce this Vrom? Is that the correct pronunciation? Vrom. 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 Dumb. Vrom. I don't know why I say Vrom. I I was was doing it like I was doing it like it rhymed with womb, like Vroom. But so, but I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I I, because I've never actually heard anyone. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. No, I didn't find an instance of. um, We couldn't find Hugo Girard saying his project's name and, and not- uh, I didn't find any references to the origin of the name. The O has a nice circumpunctum in it, which is like the, you know, the symbol for sun, for gold, the earth, um, broken circle, consciousness, the beginning, all those good things. Which is going to come into play with this, this album. I mean, I guess, what do, is it an album? Is it a, you know, what, what exactly yeah, is a three form- inch plus a 10 inch? The you know what I mean? are so interesting. I mean, it's 40 minutes. Or you yeah. know, nearly I mean, so it crosses Ooh, the yeah. threshold of an album. I think it's just presented in a in a unique format. I also think that he was considerate of sort of 
maybe DJ culture at the time in terms of what went on the CD and what went on the 10 inch, because the, the 10 inch is far more rhythmic and almost, uh, you know, club friendly tracks. I think that was a, a definite decision to make there. You know, this stuff was, there was a scene for this stuff at the time where sort of the power noise movements. And, you know, we talked about that sonar record, which was from um, 96. Orfix. Orfix, of course. Like this stuff has its fingers deeply rooted in noise, but also had an accessibility that attracted a lot of people outside of noise to it. So like Mm -hmm. Aunt Zen is a label certainly known by people who do not listen to Masana or whatever. Right. But we also find plenty of noise and strange sound and sound design and atmosphere in these tracks, which of course keeps them firmly in the noise realm. Yeah. There's no shortness of strangeness uh, on these albums. No, I, yeah, there's the, the electronics and the noise elements are really, yeah, they're really pronounced and they're, I, I, love the combination of them. I mean, as we discuss this in order, we'll be discussing the three inch into the 10 inch basically, which is how it's set up on his Bandcamp page, which we of course link. So you can pick this up and directly support uh, the label and the artist. And I think the lyrics from what I can tell uh, do flow in that way. Yeah. Tara was very, she 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 did a really great job attempting to translate these lyrics because they are yes. French. She, uh, Désolé, je parle pas le français. Il y a 20 ans since I've spoken French, so uh, it's been a real. It's been about twenty years. But 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 I mean, you are you do help us a lot, especially with those yeah. French translations. But Vram being from Montreal, yes, or or, or at least Quebec, right? I don't. Is it ex- Montreal? Is it Montreal? Yeah, Montreal mm-hmm. proper, right? So these are, you know, this is a, you know, French Canadian lyrics and, and they are very upfront and, and they they go throughout the whole album. So Tara wanted to make a point to try to at least attempt to get a grasp of what he's talking about in this and message they, was coming across and it really does float. It, it's very conceptual. It's, it's a very, all the, the lyrics go into the next one and then the next one and the titles all relate to the lyrics. And so I know that it's a very full, it's a full package. And, and. Vroom, Hugo Girard, Mario Girard, he is a poet and has released things um, that are just word-based and and clearly takes time to craft his lyrics uh, and, and does it in such an interesting way. Well, since the lyric, lyrics are some of the first things we hear on this first track after that buzz and static, what did you, what did you come up with for Electro One, Tara? I had the most trouble with this one. All I could make out is that he was in the country near the south, and then I really don't know. This was a tough yeah, one. This one too. was a tough one for me. I really apologize. <laughs> hey, you better than uh, myself gonna, or Gray, so you I'm do not, not apologize. I'm not going to make something up you, for this one. Yes. Well, no, no, but yeah, no, exactly. But say whatever you get is going to be far better than anything we we got because we came up with zero because we don't understand French at all. I took them as uh, while listening, just they seem to be sort of instructional. The tone of the voice and the cadence of the speech, but I, I really do love that really deep buzz that this opens with, and it sort of mm-hmm. pans around, and there's sort of the skittering high frequency stuff going on, and the rhythm is kind of subtle. And on this track, actually, much like all these tracks, it, the rhythms sort of feel like they're building themselves. They feel like they're putting themselves together piece by piece, like a 
like a robot in an assembly factory, but that's like forming itself or a, had some sort of vision of like Jason X coming back to life on yeah. one of the tracks. Hey, here and we go. Any Jason chance X. I can bring Jason. Well, this is a very, this whole thing is very sci-fi sounding to me, uh, especially the third track pulsation. We'll talk about that when we get there, but I yep. like event horizon stuck in my mind is like a kind of a reference point or atmosphere for this. If you were like visually just sort of sci-fi horror, not quite aliens, you know, not quite alien, but something a little more typically horror, I guess. I think Event Horizon and Jason X are two perfect examples of that. And yeah, I know exactly what you mean with the rhythms because they are, they, the way they interact then also with the electronics, it, it it's constantly shifting in a strange way. And there's, throughout all of these tracks, I mean, it's constant motion. Sounds are being added mm-hmm. sounds are being subtracted sounds are morphing sounds are are that are playing off each other and I, re- I especially like the sort of static shots in this one and how they are sort of formed into these chunks and then these slices sort of disrupt and it it, it has a very disjointed feeling to it in a, in a great way yeah they're crazy crashing hydraulics like the the sound of like almost a a breath on all of the hits Reminds you of machinery. It absolutely has that industrial vibe, but it wasn't that like dark gothic industrial. It's a lighter industrial, maybe like a, a dark blue industrial, not pitch black. And maybe uh, that's from the cover, the blue sort of of the cover and the thing. Yeah, right. It's we're yeah we're more of in a yeah it's like it's a deep not, blue, yeah. not so much a pitch black. It's not like murderous and ominous. It's more psychological, yeah. and and I think that that. Even uh, despite us not knowing what is being said. But, you know, I, I think that that is so common for music we like. And that's why we enjoy the evocative nature, but also hearing things that we're guessing about, hearing something that that is a mystery. And um, the mood absolutely conveys so many things in this first piece. I did want to mention this was released on September 9th in 1999. So nine nine. 1999 and intentionally released on that day which i think is really cool so number nine is the number of um like spiritual enlightening spiritual awakening it's the hermit card in tarot which totally has that vibe like as like you go down for all the lyrics of somebody um being isolated having a headache being alone in a room is the general atmosphere of of these tracks and it's certainly apt in that situation we come up on the second track, Ambiorhythmy, and I like this the start of this with the this sort of ticking white noise, which yes. is like phased or filtered, and sort of layers of glassy drones come in, and then you get this this and this is a thing that Vram does really well is this sort of scattered rhythm that pieces come in, they don't seem to really work or connect in the right way until all of the sudden they do, and on this. It's got a couple different like bass or kick drum variations. There's like a bass rhythm going on, but then there's also more of that sort of like soccer ball kick to it. And there's also some of those, those like slams that, you know, we talked about even on the MZ four twelve episode, there's sort of a, a little bit, they're not, it's, this is not the seven Oh seven chunky slam drums here, but 
there are some sort of industrial slamming sounds. And I, I wonder what of this is sampling and what of this is straight drum machine and processing. Yeah, I, I really love the rattling. The that sort of small sound traverse rattling of the way this starts and the. What, what I think this track is is so good at and, and a lot of these tracks really do this as well. It's this constant tension build without really much release. It, it, mm-hmm. it, it's sort of things sort of go away, but it doesn't give you the, that release explosion. It sort of keeps increasing the tension, right? There's no resolution. Well, maybe until let object <laughs> do we get some sort of real resolution on this. But I, I know exactly what you mean with the sort of building. And even like once you think it's gone on, like those sort of sonar siren kind of things come in and these sort of like uh, side chained ghost tones is the only way I could think to describe them. Yeah, they I like, thought they sounded like a, go- a dove coo. All right. All right. <laughs> I was, the- I was getting like submarine on this one, like oh. underwater yeah. the just the kind of the vibe, the ticking white noise that's kind of filtered becoming like, the currents under the water and just the the weird sort of sonar pings lends to sort of that that submarine atmosphere, submarine horror, submarine sci-fi atmosphere. Yeah, and and I get that too because I w- I was trying to think like where does this track exist? Like what is the landscape that's being created? Because they have these like bright tones that kind of like pierce through those dark industrial rhythms, and it really brightens everything up and makes it seem you know more open so i was just thinking about the like a bunch of people alone in dim lighting dancing but you know they're alone in the crowd it's not people dancing and hanging out with each other it is isolated people um existing the i like that and i like the idea of everyone just being alone alone in a crowd exactly and and this and this really does just have this hypnotic quality to it and then the beat sort of becomes abstract through its tight tension. Mm-hmm. And I know Room later did make an album completely based on hypnotism. Oh, very cool. And this track actually continues right into the third piece, Pulsation. It's just a kind of a roll one, you know, put a track index there where there they are obviously different pieces, but you get some carryover from the, uh, the actually the end of Ambio with me which has sort of a, the end of that track is really nice. This like nice melodic part with this sort of feedback wavering through it. And I dug that a lot, but then this thing starts off with this sort of simple pulse, as you might guess from the name. And this, I really hit the sci-fi zone because it's got all these sort of uh, modulated, like kind of things going on to it, both on the higher end. And then towards the end, it, it gets completely out of control with like, heavy bass synth modulation that increases in volume each repetition oh man that i love that part this track is so relatable the so the lyrics are back the the first track has lyrics second does not now we're on pulsation uh and and he just starts off by saying he he has a headache and he has a headache and it's growing and it's always on the same side it's on the left side and he can't think of anything else but the throbbing in his head. He can't focus on anything else but, you know, like one candle in the room and the throbbing of his head. And um, it's it's making him crazy. 
And it's like having a metronome in his head. And then at the end, um, I have I have the sensation of having a stranger in my head, an objet de mon crâne, which is um, an object in my skull. And then that leads into the next track, the object. So this pulsing, throbbing thing that exists, and he can't think of anything else, and it's living in his head, and that's the object. Okay, so he's talking about the annoying pulsing throb of a miserable headache that it consumes everything you think about and the next yeah. track is about the object itself the the, the thing the, the foreign object in his head the, this this is the hit right here this is the yeah. it's so good you can play this in the club you can play this at home perfectly fine it opens with this like flanged atmosphere thing that when you hear this sound you're you're gonna be like oh it's that sound like you know you have heard this sound. This is this is a, totally a type of, I don't know. It's I don't know how much more to say. Like, yeah, when you hear a drum machine, you know it's a drum machine. But this has a very specific vibe to it, and it's it's sort of timeless, I think. And I I was really you know the the vocals return on this one, as does you know we get a, this one has a straight up groove. Like this one really builds and rhythmic industrial noise it's great and the 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 drums have this almost organic feeling to them they you know it's it's, you know clearly drum machine but but the actual sound of them feels sort of organic and i i loved the way they sounded to me this yeah this was just psycho hypnotic drums that really take you to wherever it, you need to go, I mean, to the object, right? To the object in the head. Yeah, and and even on Vroom's website, when he's describing his own music, uh, he says it's a soundtrack for a movie that goes in the audience's mind, and that is absolutely happening um, on these tracks. And the the way that they just build and build, and like you said before, it's not explosive; it's just so subtly growing and adding layers and taking things away and they're all sounds we're really familiar with but it's done in a really i think a dynamic way definitely definitely you know this is from 1999 and the the, when you're talking about the object in the head and the recurring migraines i can only think of the movie pie which came out a year before so i wonder if any of this was in any way inspired by that man i i i have such hazy memories of that movie, but I do remember it. I, cause I remember it coming out and having been into sort of really started getting into, you know, weirder cinema, more underground stuff. I was going to the Chicago underground film festival at the end of high school and then into that. And I, and I remember it being like, Oh, this new weird movies coming out. And I remember mm-hmm. seeing in the theaters and that's where it ends with my memory of anything <laughs> of that movie. And that is yeah. black and white. That's like, I like, that's I all. I remember the number being on the wall a that's lot. That's all I got. I have no memory of that. And may, maybe the object was in my head and I missed it. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I remember like what a big deal it was when that came out for, you know, movie, you know, sort of underground, you know, weird movie fans. Fan of the number, fan of the food. Don't remember the movie. <laughs> fan, fan of the number, fan of the food. Uh, what's your favorite pie? Three point one four two seven. I meant the I meant the food. Oh, don't I can't choose it's like choosing favorite record. Yeah, probably blueberry. I'm gonna oh, say blueberry. So I've been I've been I'm wanting go blueberry, some blueberry today. Pie, key lime. Yeah, 
Oh, Key Lime is oh, my favorite. Yeah, you do That's love Key Lime. Key Lime is my number one. <laughs> key Lime is my number one, actually. Uh, you you is, are correct. Key Lime is my favorite. Oh, I was, I was stating mine. Key Lime is my Good. favorite. Like, absolutely. No, but, oh, but, but no, key lime. that, is, that mm. is generally if if there is a pie. Meringue or no meringue? I, I like, I, mm, I'll go I like for both. any version. Yeah. Like both. I'll go for any version. The, but yeah, no, this, and also the, the, the vocal loop that sort of happens in here. Now, what are the, did you get some other clear or at least semi ideas about the lyrics? We're in, talking about OJ? Yeah. Oh yeah. The, truly the first track, when the vocals are that, um, the vocal effect is very drawn out and blurry. And, and I found that on the first track, I just really couldn't with any certainty understand or, or anything that I would want to repeat to people and spread misinformation about, about what he was saying. But truly, they're, the, they're much more clear, I find, on all of the other tracks. So it's the circular object, uh, a disc that's spinning in my head, the disc, the flat disc that's spinning in my head. It's synchronizing with my metabolism. I see its outline uh, inside of my head. It's a disc that's spinning in my head. So it's like that whole repetition of the object that is giving him this like sonic nightmare, sonic obsession, uh, turning, turning over and over like a record. I wonder if that's the disc, the, uh, which, what was the term you used for the thing in the O? Oh, circumpunctum. I wonder if the the disc is the circumpunctum from. Uh, oh no, not that's the that is the dot in the O. The other there's this other thing that's like a like a sun wheel on it. That's a see this. Oh yes, maybe that's the object. There is a sort of round propeller like drawing that is present on Room's website and on this record yes. it's it's a symbol that is associated with the project and hey maybe it is that just spinning relentlessly and just thinking about that as as a headache now I wonder if he suffered from migraines and the idea of headaches also being just super important to him I yeah or even like i like the idea of it as sure a real headache or a metaphor for obsession too absolutely and i on this track on loge did did you hear a wasp? I thought there might be a wasp. There. Well, it, it certainly has the the that sort of wobble. That sort of wasp buzz. wobble exactly, yeah. and that's what you know. That's what Tara's like. Oh, she's like, oh, this reminds me of of almost a wasp sound. And hmm. uh, and then we get the then we get the unusual like space rays, like things like breaking through, and and again, it, it this is another situation where these sounds could be used in such a terrible and cheesy way but they are so effective and interesting here and and it's so minimal when you get that um we have kind of this like groove with a, a synthetic hand hit drum and then you get this wobble and this space ray and it and it just breaks through your trance uh and and what you thought would be happening and it, it changes the whole vibe of the track and then it's kind of like chirping bird. Uh, I, I just love it. And, and as it grows with amplification and builds and builds, um, it is like I had an ear infection when I was a child um, once. And I remember it was terrifying because I, all I could hear was the blood rushing in my ears. And at one point when it was kind of the pressure was building, I put my hands over my ears and my mom's like, why are you screaming? 
and I and I was just trying to drown out that sound and it was this pulse that just kept growing and getting closer and closer and and you just don't know what's going to happen when it hits this high point like is your head going to explode and I found this to be very relatable to that yeah that is a horrifying it was horrifying sound and, and, and I do not miss getting ear infections but, I'll well, tell but you again, that I think that that totally fits though right because so much yeah, of what he's talking about here think is of these... anything else just this pounding and pounding inside of your brain and you think your skull is going to explode and you know liquefy your brain as it pours out onto the ground well and I think those things that are in your head the pain headache ear infection toothache oh. where you just can't you, there's no, it. you can't escape it. Mm -hmm. Right. The, those nerves are too close to your brain. There's no shutting off yeah. or ignoring that sort of pain. Yeah. It's like if your finger hurts, it's pretty far away. Or, or even but once or it's in your if, face, if your done. finger or your arm or some, sometimes those pains, if you just don't move your arm or whatever, you can sort of, it sort of dulls, but you, there's nothing you can do about when it's just in your head. It's just constant. I, but I think you so much of what he's talking about is these this inner turmoil, right? That's literally in his head is what, mm -hmm. you know, or at least what we're gathering exactly. that these lyrics are about. So that's a perfect analogy. And again, when we go between languages, I, I don't know at what level of met metaphor we're using it. So, you know, that's also for everyone to decide. Exactly. I think when we hit the B side of the 10 inch elect trouble, the brains are scrambled. The, oh, the this is chaos a scrambled track is now reality. And, it starts with these layered drones and we get some more uh, speaking in French, but there's these weird, just sort of like clusters of breakbeat interruption and random sequences bursting through that are garbling any sort of information you might be trying to take from the track. And I, I found it very effective. Actually, they, they were distracting in a way that seemed to lend itself to the, the rest of the 10 inch. Like it's, it made it was a fitting culmination of what we listened to a hundred percent. And the way this is a scrambled track and the way that the there's all these frantic moments just cut in out of nowhere and then cut away and then cut back in, but it's a little different. And so it's, it is, this is a really schizophrenic track. I love this track so much. These two tracks, like I can't choose between which one is my favorite, but, uh, I listen to them with headphones on and oh my God, it's like a game changer. There's so many tiny, subtle sounds happening on both of them. Um, but this like heartbeat, the throb is there, like the body troubles. Um, and then this is kind of where everything culminates. Again, the visual image that he's using with his words are, you know, he's laying on the floor. He no longer feels that his head's solid. It's turning into a liquid. And and then gets up slowly to go to the door and closes the door and closes the door and closes the door and realizes this door only closes over and over. Sounds like a nightmare. That's an yeah, absolute and it's a beautiful nightmare. nightmarish image. Um, yeah, the idea. I close that the door behind me. I close the door again without opening it. Without ever opening, this door only closes. We say it again without me talking over. So the the last lyrics on this album are. I close the door behind me. I close the door again without opening it, without ever opening it. The door only closes. How ominous is that? It is. It's it's nightmarish of yeah. the door slamming in your head while you're laying on the floor staring at the ceiling. That's great. That's such a nice. Yeah. yeah. Knowing the lyrics helps so much. And it's uh, 
maybe he didn't want them understood. Maybe he's just most comfortable with French. Maybe, uh, you know, usually when artists want their lyrics understood by everyone, they go with English, which seems to be the most commonly spoken language. Or, or they publish the lyrics online, but I, I, or in, I, or in the, or, or in the, the liner release, notes, yeah. but I tried and I couldn't find them anywhere. It would have been truly much easier, but you know, I, I think that without knowing them, we do get the vibe. Like we understand that it's a, a troubling, growing doom, uh, but it's also that industrial human, this is inevitable feeling. This release is really cool. And I do think that an important part of it is the multi multi-format. And, you know, what do, what do you think that is with noise? You know, why, why do we, why do we get so excited about multi-format? I think it's just something that's not found in, partly I think it's something that's not found in other music commonly, right? In, in normal, normalized forms of music. Maybe you see an LP in a seven inch, but that's still vinyl. That still requires like one device to play it. This requires two separate devices to play it right and there's some level of effort put into it that i think makes it a little special there's some even if it's not fully conceptual it makes it seem like an intentional decision like whatever it can be like uh for this one it feels natural that it's that it's on a three inch and a ten inch and it gives interesting ways to package things you know look at green wheels uh, right. I, there's, mm-hmm. of course, I, off top of my head, I can't think of any other examples that I have of this, but I am certain that I have plenty of them in my collection. Uh, no, I mean the CD and seven inch is a fairly kind of common thing, right? Uh, that that decombination thing that came out on uh, Endangered Species last year, I believe. That's a, a CD and seven inch. Now I don't know if we've established or discussed this. I mean, I think we've discussed this in you know in our life. But for me, the first time I ever saw anything like this and it did include a three inch would be when I was 12 or 13, whenever it came out and that would be nine inch nine nails, nails broken. broken. Oh. Yeah. And it was, and, and yeah. I was and just like, exciting. what is this? I, I was format. so confused when I bought it. And then there was the three inch CD and I'm like, what? And I didn't, I, the idea that a three inch CD existed didn't even, I, I had no conception of that. And then you get the two tracks on that. And it's just like, what a cool, weird thing to do. And, and even the, just that packaging in general, the way it folds out, you know, strangely, mm-hmm. and especially, you know, being one of the first things like that, it, the first thing like that, that I ever got. And it was just so I, I got, I loved that. I loved the idea that, I also loved the unnecessariness of it, right? Because those two tracks and which subsequent editions, they're just on the mm-hmm. they're just on the CD, right? But I like the decision to separate them, and where whereas like yes, obviously they could fit on the CD, but there's a a decision that we're separating these. This could be just a twelve inch or a CD, mm-hmm. but the decision to separate into 10 inch and three inch to me is that's an exciting decision. It's a purposeful decision. And I love that. Yeah. It gives us some other aspect to think about and be engaged with. And even thinking 
about listening to things as a social project, then you can look at it with your friends. It's something that you can discuss. Right. Like, or even it's not placing more weight on vinyl. It's not placing more weight on CDs. It's, yeah. it's equally, you know, distributing the format. It's just it, fascinating. Yeah. And with this release, you know, the, the three inch is the 10 inch of the CD game, right? Like 24 minutes, short <laughs> and sweet, costs as much to make as a regular CD. Like all of the, yeah, right. all of the hallmarks of it are basically there. Uh, I think in the I'm early. I'm like, you would know, Gray. Yeah, right. Well, as <laughs> yeah. I say. If anybody knows. <laughs> in the early 2000s, there was a, there was a label called Source Research. Uh, they, they did these three inch CDs that I remember were some of the earliest three inches that I got that were sort of like outside of mass, you know, independent small label thing that wasn't like a mass market nine inch nails level thing. Uh, and also VVM, who, uh, you know, later went on to do The Caretaker. But his stuff there in the early 2000s, there were a lot of seven inches, but also a lot of three inch CDs. And it was just a weird format for weird electronics. And I, I think that this this release slightly predates, I think, both of those people doing three inches uh, that I'm talking about. But it's... Uh, I think it's just a cool choice and a cool way to present something. And yeah, you get about the same amount of music on each, right? So it's, you're not, it's like half and half sort of just LP sides would have probably been a lot easier to do this as an LP, but that's not, that's not the case. We got this kind of weirdly packaged three inch CD and 10 inch vinyl, 10 inch picture disc vinyl. Hey, Um, and the three inch CD actually might fit in your head and that could be the flat disc in your head. Right. The 10 inch should be a little, 10 inch should be a little too much. But you know, Anton did a lot of ten inches and a lot of pictures just ten inches, and I think they're it's such a really such a cool format. And mm-hmm. obviously, well, there's plenty more for us to discuss in that realm. Yeah, there's there's more Anton that we're gonna have to talk about, and there's there's so many great releases, and you know, Stefan Alt's packaging is always really nicely done, like the design and the packaging. He was one of those labels that just always paid attention to how something looked and how it felt and and how it read and. So while this stuff might look of a time in terms of graphic design and, you know, now definitely looks like it came from the late 90s, maybe. And th- this actually doesn't. This looks very, I mean, the picture disc does a bit, but the packaging on the outside is very sleek and minimal. There's nothing slapdash about this release. Like no, from, no. From the what is on them to what it looks like. It's great. Yeah, really just a, a great label. It did a lot of cool stuff and, you know crossed the border between noise and sort of rhythmic techno industrial stuff back and forth for, you know, forever. Like, yeah, there's no shortage of harsh noise on Anzan. And there's also no shortage of like straightforward rhythmic industrial techno stuff on there either. And that's why it's part of noise. Absolutely. Bring it on. Vroom, vroom. <laughs> Well, yeah, what a what a cool what a cool release, and really really enjoyed discussing this and digging into the world of Brom. I think if this Broom. sounds good, Je de Terre is one hundred percent worth checking out too. His first offering, which got later a double LP issue, also just really really nice work and a little more primitive than this. Heck yeah, check it out. We'll have the link up for the band camp for this. But, you know, this is also one I think it's having the physicals is, uh, will benefit even more. So however you do it, check it out. You've been listening to Noise Extra. 
Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years. By Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.